Welcome to this episode of Classroom Matters with me, your host, Christy Houle. Today, we are going to wrap up our three-part series with Heather Forbes, the owner of the Beyond Consequences Institute. Now, if you haven't had an opportunity to listen to parts one and two of this series, I highly recommend doing so. In part one, Heather gives us an overview of the Beyond Consequences approach to trauma-informed care. And in the second part, we talked a little bit about implementation and teacher buy-in. All really great information. So today we're going to wrap up. We're going to dive right in and we're going to talk about some of the challenges our nation is facing with the pandemic and the civil unrest and how the Beyond Consequences Institute is sort of coming to the aid of some of that stress and anxiety. Heather, welcome back to the show. It's great to be here. Thank you. Yeah, I'm so, I'm just so pleased and thrilled that you were able to make it for not one, not two, but actually three episodes. I know that your time is really valuable. So we're wrapping up today. So I just truly appreciate um, you giving up as much time as you have to spend with us. It's been great. Thank you. It's good to be here. Thank you. So let's, let's start by um, discussing Heather, all of this uncertainty and stress. um, Let's just kind of start by focusing on the stress and uncertainty related to COVID-19. Are you seeing a higher level of stress and anxiety with folks during these times? And sort of how are you handling that with what you're doing? Oh, absolutely. You know, we just got done doing our conference for our national conference. And that was actually one of the topics that we talked about a lot. And everyone at, you know, we had over 1800 people and everyone was saying that the level of stress of everyone is so much higher. The, what I call window of stress tolerance, your ability to handle stressful situations, uh, short fuse is probably the best term for that. And just a decrease in your level of patience, your ability to handle just what life gives to you. I think all of us are on edge, not just as adults, but obviously then as children as well. And we've talked a lot about then children coming back into the classroom of what that looks like. And I think what we're really going to see is that our kids are, they're going to come in hot, you know, they're, they're going to, they're just, they're going to be at a higher state of anxiety because there's so much uncertainty in our worlds. And I think a lot of our kids have experienced already so much trauma in the sense of not having the predictability, the certainty, the usual, the normal, which is really what kids need to be able to stay in a place of balance. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, because if, if their parents are on edge, because, you know, we're going into uh, the fall semester here where a lot of districts are looking at a hybrid model. A lot of districts are looking at, you know, only having kids in the building a couple of days a week. Um, I know that my my district are they're going to have a shorter school day from eight to twelve thirty, and so parents that are working or are trying to work, that's putting again as it did in the spring, a lot of extra stress on them, which then sort of I think trickles down to the students, even in the best of homes. Um, so talk a little bit about how you see that playing out with students in the classroom um, in the fall. Do you think that's going to make it even more difficult for teachers to handle that um, with all of the anxiety and stress that's coming back in? Oh, absolutely. And I think that what we have to really focus on then is understanding that as much as we need to help our students move forward academically, because certainly this last spring, we lost a lot of our academics. So we have to Mm -hmm. step back first and say, you can't teach a child who's dysregulated. You can't teach a child who is highly anxious. We have to then focus our attention, even if it is at 8.30 to 12.30 or whatever that time frame is, one or two times or three times a week, 
And I know that as educators, there's going to be this push, push, push to get back on track academically. But what we know from brain science is that you can't, you, you cannot learn if you are stressed mm-hmm. out. That is just the basic principle of everything that I talk about. So I think the first priority is to help our children get back to mm-hmm. a sense of connection, a sense of balance, realign, understand what this new normal is, and to be able to grieve and to be able to express and be able to let go of this emotional piece that they've just kind of been holding on to. And that might take a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. and I, but I just also know that once we get resettled, rebalanced and get into that new routine of what the new normal is, then we can then jump into the academic. So it's not like we're not doing the academic academics. It's about the timing. And it's really going to be about taking care of our, the emotional needs of our students. But you know what, Christy, it's also very much taking the care of the emotional needs of our educators and the administrators. And we have to look at that, that us as adults, we have to make sure that we're doing what we can so that when we come back to the classrooms, we're ready. We're ready for our kids and we're going to be able to handle whatever they give us because it's going to be a lot of unknowns. So it's not just about getting them back into balance, but it's getting us back into balance as well. Mm -hmm. Well, and I'm glad that you brought that up because that was actually going to be my next question to you is, how are we helping our educators? Because, you know, I was reading an article the other day and it was an educator saying they're scared themselves to go back into the classroom because they're going to be dealing with you know, their own fear and anxiety and stress about COVID and their own families. You know, in this article, I was reading about a mother who is thinking about resigning because she's scared to be in the classroom and, and, and all the stress that it's going to cause for her family as well. So are there programs or certain things that you guys are doing for just specifically for educators and for teachers coming back into the building? Like, how are you, how are you reaching out to help them? Well, what I really suggest is, you know, we just, um, because we can't work in every district, I really suggest sure. that that the administrators really step back and go, wait a minute, our first priority when teachers come back that first week without the students is that there's a lot of initiative to be able to create a space where then mm-hmm. the teachers and the support staff can be able to sort of download and again, to be able to express themselves. Everything we want to do with the kids, we've got to first do with our teachers. And you know what? I think that right now, especially after this spring, bring in your PTAs. I know not every single school has a very strong PTA, but I'm telling you right now, you have parents who are so appreciative of teachers beyond Mm -hmm. what they've ever been before. So if there was a call out to the parents to say, hey, that first week, what can we do to bolster up our our teachers? I mean, there would be like deliveries of bagels every single day. You know, like I know that the parents want to express again, because they had to take over so much of the schooling that there is this level Mm -hmm. of appreciation. And I think teachers need to see that. And so by doing some of those, uh, which seem like little things, I think it really speaks to the heart of how we can help our teachers understand. Now, as, as far as the safety issues, uh, you know, number one, I think that we there is there is going to be this high level of risk. And especially according you know, to each individual person and their their safety level. You know, I've always said safety is number one. And I think that we have to encourage teachers to make those decisions. If you are really scared, almost on the edge of terrified in that classroom, it's not going to be a good environment for anybody. And so I really just encourage everyone to really step and look at what they, what their personal piece is and figure out a way. But to walk in a classroom scared and terrified really is not going to be a very good balance. And I, you know, I don't have the solution for everyone, but I just want to put it out there to give yourself permission 
to make a choice and not feel like you have to. I know there's, it feels that way sometimes financially, uh, but always look. I think that love sees solutions. Love says, well, you know what? This isn't what I want. I'm sure there's another alternative and keep looking for that alternative. If that is what it needs to be for you, but fear only sees problems. And so we have to make sure that we get regulated before making that decision because it is a, a level of safety decision and then be able to open ourselves up to the energy of pro- of, of solutions, which is a, a, a place of putting ourselves into a place of love, if, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. It does. It does. And, you know, we're talking a lot about students that are going back into the public school system and teachers that are going to be teaching in the public school system. But what about the folks that have decided to keep their children at home due to whether their child has a lower mm-hmm. immune system or, you know, I know in a lot of districts and in, in mine, especially, you know, the students are going to be asked to wear masks all day and um, they're going to be in cohorts of kids. And, you know, they we've been given a choice to do in-person teaching or um, an e-learning virtual teaching from home. And I know that there's a lot of parents that are just really frightened to send their child into, especially some of the younger kiddos, back into a uh, environment where they may get sick. So they're opting to keep them at home. But I think that's going to cause a lot of undue stress on parents who are now again, trying to work, but also taking on the responsibility of making sure that their kids get educated um, for the sake of keeping them in a healthier environment. So what sort of strategies or techniques can some of those folks use at home with some of these students that are maybe feeling some trauma from all of this uncertainty? Yeah, I I think that when parents make that decision to keep their kids home, um, again, that is something that that is their decision. They need to hold strong to it, but then also see what other resources are out there. We don't mm-hmm. have to do this alone. It we I think with the way things have unfolded, it really does feel like gosh, we're just kind of on our own here. But there are ways to reach out, and maybe it is your neighborhood that there is a, a cohort of maybe four other families, and you guys just really stick together, and you guys uh, alternate on which days you do school. There's a lot of things that we can do to reach out to the community to create our own little homeschool groups, so to speak, but yet mm-hmm. you're still in contact with our school. So I think the biggest thing for parents is to, to make sure that if you make that decision, don't stay isolated um, beyond what is uh, what is necessary. Again, that whole word isolation has a whole new word to it right now. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that we, we do have to get our kids somewhat connected. Uh, that is a, it's a balance between safety and mental health and making sure that they do connect with uh, other kids. And even if that's a very small, tight circle, I think in most places that probably is a, still a safe option. Uh, mm-hmm. And so to really look at that, um, but not to feel like you're alone. And that's, I think that's the biggest thing with, with this pandemic is that because of the stay-at-home orders and the isolation, it, it's very, very easy to get disconnected. And I think at any level, keep looking at how can you get connected? How can you get those resources? They are available, but we have to just be creative uh, when we're doing that. Mm-hmm. And and would you say that you've seen a lot? Because I feel like, and you know, maybe I'm just looking in the wrong places or seeing things that um, maybe not everybody else is seeing, but I feel like there's been a lot of division during uh, the pandemic with the different ways that people are feeling. For example, if you live in a neighborhood and you feel maybe that you know, you're okay to do certain things or have people over to your home, but your neighbor across the street dis- disagrees with that and thinks that everyone should still be isolated and you're jeopardizing their safety. Well, now you've got neighbors disputing each other who maybe were friends to begin with, but I really feel like this pandemic has broken some relationships and really sort of gotten into the middle of some families and caused some real damage over judgment calls. 
Oh, definitely. But I think that's, again, that's, that's the higher calling for all of us to be able to say, okay, there's room for every different interpretation. Mm -hmm. Love Mm -hmm. allows, love allows us to make room for, okay, my neighbor feels like it should be this way. I don't. Okay. I'm going to love them. I may not interact with them right now, but I don't have to get angry at them. I don't Mm -hmm. have to go into a place of reactivity. See, this is, I believe this pandemic, what we can all pull out of this is pulling ourselves to the higher order of love and recognizing that we can stay in our place and our own opinion and what we feel comfortable with and the other people can do what they Mm -hmm. need to do. And sometimes if we pull back, there's a such a thing as loving from a distance and not to have to feel like you have to make the other person believe what you believe. And Mm -hmm. this is the, this is the expansion that we are being called to. And when we can do that and we model that for our children, uh, I think that's a beautiful lesson for them to be able to have that high level of tolerance is that that's the diversity that we all are trying to embrace right now, that we all can be different. And if it means that we're not connected, just, you know, in a more personal way, then it's okay. It really Mm -hmm. is okay. That's what love allows. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's a great segue into our next topic that I wanted to hit on, you know, along with the pandemic, which is causing a lot of stress and anxiety, we're, we're facing a time of civil unrest right now across our nation. And, and it's been, you know, very disheartening to watch the divisions and, and, and some of the things that are happening with, with people that we love in our nation. And so I know that the Beyond Consequences Institute is going to be getting a calling for helping the stress and anxiety with some of the civil unrest that's happening. So what are some things that the the Beyond Consequences Institute are prepared to do going out into um, the educational environments this year with, with that side of the story as well? I think that it is all a matter of where you look. And you Mm -hmm. can watch the news and be very disheartened, or you can watch the news same segment and go, oh my gosh, what an awakening. This is amazing. Yes, it took some horrible situations to get there, but look where we are right now compared to where Mm -hmm. we were just a year ago. You Mm -hmm. know, I was watching the news this morning and seeing them painting Black Lives Matter, um, you know, on the streets. And I just, you know, that never would have happened. I think that we have to continually, again, expand ourselves to go, yes, sometimes it's the struggle that we have to get there, but let's embrace that struggle because Mm -hmm. we know that we're going to come out of this in a better place. And the more that we can keep looking and focusing our attention onto the positive and to what's going to happen and where we're moving forward and how we're finally standing up and saying, no, this is not all right anymore. It never was, but now we have the voice behind it. Now we have Mm -hmm. the momentum behind it. And so I just see this as a as a beautiful thing. I, again, I know it's not always pretty, you know, change is never mm-hmm. pretty. People don't like change. And whether that's one little thing in a household or a massive worldwide movement like this, change is hard because we like the familiar. We Even if the familiar isn't good, it's what we know, it's what creates certainty. And so changing that is always going to create some unrest. But I think I just am and just encouraging everyone to continually look at the positive and look at mm-hmm. what is being changed. Because when we keep looking and focusing on that, that keeps our energy in a positive place that our, our momentum keeps building in that. And we're contributing to the movement in a powerful and way, whether it's a, whether, whether we're not really seeing those negatives, we're, we're going to see them of course, but we're not engaging in them. We're not absorbing them. We're not letting us take us down. This is a movement about empowerment. This is a movement right. about moving openness and the movement of embracing everyone. And so I think we have to do that within our own hearts as well. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And I think that you're absolutely right. Just being open-minded and willing to listen and to change. Um, and I love that, that word reactivity that you used earlier when we were talking about, you know, uh, neighbors maybe disputing on over how we're handling the pandemic. But I mean, I think that goes with everything instead of being so reactive with our thoughts and, and words and emotions, really just stepping back and seeing everyone else's point of view and taking it in and being open-minded to change. Um, so what are, so we've talked a little bit about, um, you know, the ways that we can embrace and love and not be reactive when we're going into the school systems, um, whether that's your own home as e-learning continues, distance learning, remote learning, um, and then also being in the school systems ourselves. What are some other sort of specific strategies or techniques you could give either to folks at home with their children or folks in school with children to do to really make this a little bit easier for the students? Well, I think the first thing is to recognize what trauma does and the nature of trauma. So let me just talk a little bit about that, because this is a time where I see it is a, it's a high, high energy, meaning that it's going to trigger kids a lot easier. And so when we talk about trauma, what I want us to understand is that trauma has no timeline. So that experiences for some of our children that may have happened two or three years ago, or maybe 10 or 12 years ago, those experiences are still within the, literally the, within the cells of the body. Like they're, they're dormant, they're not coming out. But now that we are in, in a, a time period with high energy, lots of stress, lots of anxiety, it has a, an opportunity for that sort of dormant trauma to wake up. And so you will probably see some kids go off and be very reactive over a, over a scenario that seems very mild or very insignificant. And so what I want us to recognize is to ask that question that says, oh, well, what is this really about? It's not about the bad behavior. If, there, if you have a student or your child in your home reacting, overreacting over an incident, don't just blow it off. I want us to step back and go, okay, what is this really about? This must be a point of trauma. This must be a point where this child is acting out based off of an old history that never got resolved. So let me put a little context around that. For instance, and I want to go back to that thought that you had about kids wearing masks and teachers mm -hmm. wearing masks. I think that this is going to be a trigger point for a lot of our kids. Let's say you have a child that has a history of medical trauma and that was maybe the, you know, it could have been at birth, it could have been at two years old or somewhere along their developmental timeline. And now they're fine, you know, health-wise they're fine. But that medical trauma, when kids go through medical issues, it's a time mm -hmm. of trauma because it's painful. It's a feeling of hopelessness, helplessness, being alone, being, uh, you know, scared, high anxiety. And so when you then have that child walk into a classroom, let's say the teacher or someone is wearing a mask and not just a mask, but a surgical mask. What do you mm -hmm. think that's going to happen? That child is going to see that surgical mask. And maybe this is even happening right now with your kids. But you see that surgical mask and your body probably reacts to all those emotions that happened years and years ago. And so I just want us to make sure that we are aware of when negative behaviors start coming out, especially when they seem over and above the situation, that we're, we're having to look at this from a, a lens of trauma to say, is mm -hmm. this something that in the past? And you know what? It's hard because you can ask that child, well, what's wrong? And they won't even know. Uh, mm -hmm. And so once we are able to connect with that child, 
child in the moment, be in relationship, be able to surround them with support rather than just trying to change that behavior. Once they settle down, you know, a lot of kids will have that sort of insight and that uh, impulse to say, oh my gosh, this reminds me of blah, 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 you know, and they can be able to talk and flush it through. These are times, again, I, I think that we have to hold this time right now to know we have an opportunity to help our children heal in a way they've never been able to heal before because of the uh, the high levels of stress and the high anxiety going around. These are the, the sort of raw moments that we want to embrace and not just get frustrated at and blow off yeah. and then try to correct, but really stop. And that's, again, is why we have to be regulated enough and mindful enough to go, oh, wait a minute, this must be a healing moment, not a bad behavioral mm-hmm. moment. Right, right. And I I would agree with that. I think that's absolutely the most important thing that we're all going through this, even the kids. um, And just to take that into consideration that we all have our own background and story and reasons for doing things. And, you know, I always try to believe that everyone is has good intentions at heart. And no one is maliciously trying to you know, flip the system or do something to get themselves in trouble. Um, you know, obviously that's, there's always that small percentage of, of kids and folks that are, but I think for the most part, um, that's not the case. Well, I, I don't know. I, I think that any child acting out, any child, there's some sort of disconnect. And yeah, mm-hmm. a lot of these behaviors, they look malicious. They look like they, they're sitting there. They're just looking at you like, I'm just going to get under your skin. But you know what? Yep. Underneath that, there's still a reason. There's still something going on with that child. A child that is in a place of love doesn't do that. And so there's mm-hmm. always that, that looking to say, okay, it's not just they're being bad. I really think 100% that we have the ability to look beyond the obvious and ask ourselves that question, what is really driving this behavior and help that child get reconnected, reestablished, realigned, and back into balance. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I know that we have a long road ahead of us, Heather, and I just thank you and appreciate all the work that you um, are doing with the Beyond Consequences Institute. And for those of you that weren't able to listen to the first two parts of this uh, podcast series, you can find Heather uh, Forbes at the Beyond Consequences uh, Institute website, which is beyondconsequences.com. And you will, they'll be able to contact you through that forum, correct, Heather? Absolutely. Just type my name in Google and it'll, it'll come up. You'll find me. Okay. Well, once again, thank you so much. Um, this has been an, an awesome uh, three-part series. We've learned so much. So hopefully we can have you on in the future, maybe after the first half of the year to see how things have been going. Great. Well, thank you for having me, Christy. All right, Heather. And this is Christy Hool signing off for this episode of Classroom Matters. <laughs>